Hello and welcome to this latest podcast from Hearts Chartered Accountants. I'm delighted to have with me today Mr Ian Marr from Craven Slater & Associates, who are an independent firm of financial advisors. Um, and so, good afternoon and welcome, Ian. Uh, what do Craven Slater actually do? Craven Slater are chartered financial planners. So we were set up in January 2004. We are general advisors, so we look at all areas of finance, protection, mortgages, pensions, life assurance, investments, savings. But we specialise more than anything else in tax planning. That's really what we do. Uh, any views I give you today will be my own. They are, they are not Craven Slater's. They are not the financial conduct authorities. They're mine and mine alone. Okay, thank you. How did you actually get into being a financial advisor? What, what made you choose that career path? I was headhunted. Right. Uh, I had worked originally as a cost and management accountant for GEC. Uh, and uh, I got made redundant. They were closing the factory. And I already had... Uh, policies with the Prudential. Uh, I, I got in touch with them to tell them that I was being made redundant uh, and they asked me to go in and see them and have a chat and they offered me a job. Fantastic. Dare I ask how long ago was that was? January 1985. Wow. So, so 37 years ago. And you've been doing you've been doing financial advice ever since. I so you must know the market inside out and, and all of the, the various options that are out there as well. Uh, I would say I've seen most things that can happen to people, okay. yes. What's the most interesting side of your role? Did you have a mentor when you started off? I worked for a, a Welshman called Graham Thomas. Uh, and he was one of the Prudential's top managers. And uh, he was the. Uh, I worked in an office in Hyde, which covered South Manchester. And it was the first Prudential branch ever to get three outstanding ratings three years in a row for compliance. So I learned from a master. Right. Uh, he, he was absolutely good at making sure the rules were followed and everything was done very precise and exactly how it should be. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would call him my mentor, I think. What's the most interesting part about being a financial advisor? You deal with people. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them is different. They've all got their own ideas. They've all got their own way of looking at the world. Mm -hmm. They all have the hopes and dreams. They all have things that are important to them. Uh, And some things are very important to them. And they, they want the people that they care about to be protected. They've got certain things that they want to happen at certain times. Uh, and my job is to listen to what they want, uh, put things in place to make it happen, and then keep an eye on it to make sure it's on track and hopefully be there at the end when they get what they need and everything works out well. So you've got to be a good listener, really, as one of the uh, attributes you need to be to need to have to be a financial More advisor. than anything else, because uh, that, that you can assume that Something that uh, is a good idea to you may not be to them. They, they've got their own ideas of how they want the world to work and you're not there to do what you think is best. You're there to try and fulfil their hopes and dreams. So you've got to know what they want okay. to be able to make sure that happens. And sure. the only way to do that is to listen carefully. So we're in a bit of a changing world at the moment. Obviously, we see what's happening in Ukraine, which is just appalling, but and it must affect the markets generally. How has the market changed as a result of that? And maybe over the last couple of years, has there been many major changes? The, the only constant in life is change. Everything else moves around you. But if you go back to 
2016, due to June 2016, we voted to leave the EU. Almost immediately you saw a drop of 20% in the value of the pound. They, that discussion process went on for years. We formally left in January 2020. During that period, the stock markets went up and down depending on how the talks were perceived to be going. Uh, and just as we come to the end of the Brexit process, February, March 2020, uh, we got hit by COVID. Yeah. Uh, that then went on for near enough two years. That mm -hmm. caused huge amounts of uncertainty. It was a very difficult time for a lot of people. And we just felt that we were getting to the end of COVID uh, when the Russians invaded Ukraine and uh, you saw all the tragic events that you see on the television. So for at least five to six years, there have been things worldwide that have interrupted the, the what I would call the normal affairs and running a business. And everyone has had to try and adapt and cope and adjust Mm. to a landscape that sometimes changes very, very quickly. And how does this affect your pension pot? Is it, presumably there's been wild fluctuations over the last couple of years. Yes, if you, if you take COVID as an example, in, in March 2020, you saw a dramatic fall in stock markets around the world because we were dealing with a problem that uh, nobody had dealt with really in modern times. You're going back at least 100 years mm. to, the, to the, the last epidemic that would be anything like comparable. So there wasn't a manual for how to deal with it. Mm. Uh, and the original predictions didn't take into account at all that we were going to develop a vaccine quickly. Uh, it, the, the, the general thoughts at the time were that it took years to develop a vaccine. So in March 20, people were figuring in we had a big problem that was going to last a long time. Mm. So you saw a sharp dip uh, in, in values. Uh, but by, say, September, October time, uh, we were getting told that there was going to be a vaccine uh, and uh, things recovered very quickly mm. uh, once that reassurance was in place. It's the uncertainty that moves the market. Sure. Once um, they know... Once they know what the problem is and how it's going to be fixed, they, they, they very quickly uh, stabilise. Mm. Uh, it's exactly the same with Ukraine and Russia. At the beginning, nobody was quite sure where this would go or how bad it would get. Mm. Uh, and whilst, you, you know, we would hope for the best, there still is the potential there that this could spill over borders and get worse very quickly. So it is affecting, that uncertainty is affecting markets. And presumably the stock market did fall way down at the beginning of the Ukraine war and the beginning of the pandemic, but now seems to be recovered to more or less pre-pandemic, pre-war mm. levels. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the difficult things with this when you're talking about something as awful as this is that even in events like this, there are winners and losers. Sure. So you then get the German government saying we're spending £100 billion on defence. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody else is looking to their own yeah. things because they're worried about what's going on. So mm -hmm. there are some people that, that uh, are, you know, it's tremendously difficult for them, but there are some companies that are are receiving already or about to receive enormous orders. Mm -hmm. So the, there are some people where, where this will produce an upturn in business. Sure. The markets reflect that, that there mm -hmm. will be winners and losers. Okay. I know one of your specialisms is in pensions, and I'd just like to move on to that uh, briefly. Uh, 
I was always told the earlier you start with a pension, the better it is. Would that be your advice to someone, to a youngster taking out a pension these days? Very much so, yeah. I understand when you're young that there are competing needs for your money. But the, the earlier you start in a pension, the better. You are probably going to be retired for at least 20 years and you are going to need a fair-sized pension pot to see you through that period. You either need to save a lot of money up or you need to save a little bit of money up for a long time. It is generally overall cheaper mm. to save a little bit each month over a long time period because mm. over a longer time period, the growth in the value of the money and the tax relief will do a lot of the work for you. So yes, the, the sooner you can possibly pay into a pension, the better. You've just simply got to fit it into your budget. And presumably then the later you start, the more money you've actually got to contribute. So say, I don't know if you can give us an example, but say somebody wanted to live on a pension of, say, 30000 a year, and they didn't start putting any money until they were, say, forty. Presumably the amount you'd have to put away will be substantial each month. Well, if we, if we looked at that on a very general level, yeah. you would say at the moment that if they got a full state pension, they'd get £9,000 a year. Mm. So if they wanted what's the average income in the UK of about twenty-five, they would need to find 15 of their own. Yeah. So if you say that somebody's going to live 20 years and they need 15000 a year, there's got to be at least £300,000 in their pot by the time they want to retire. Mm. Any interest you make on the money would compensate for inflation over that 20-year period. Sure. There are a lot of people that I talk to that they, when I say how much is in your pension and no one near a figure mm. that would be able to give them the lifestyle that they say they want, mm. generally people haven't paid enough money in. Mm. And presumably that's where we don't want to frighten people who are watching this, but that's presumably why the sooner you start, the better, and the more you can put away. And also in auto-enrolment will have helped uh, towards that as well, and as much as people have been forced to put 8% of the salary away as it is at the moment. But certainly you'd certainly recommend doing it far sooner than, than later on. I would recommend starting as soon yeah. as you could. Mm. Uh, work with a figure that, that fits in your budget and doesn't cost you financial mm. problems. Bear in mind that with all pensions these days, the, the regular monthly premium can be started and stopped without penalty. So if you are paying in and at some point uh, that became a problem, you can reduce or stop the sure. premium you're paying and pick it up mm. at a later date. Mm. Auto-enrolment has certainly helped, but uh, the, there's a... Uh, a tendency to believe that that's your retirement sorted mm. because you're now in a pension scheme. Mm. Auto-enrolment works on band earnings. So anybody, the, the first 6,240 of your earnings don't count mm. uh, and a maximum of 50,270 does. So you pay that 8%, three from the employer, mm. five from the employee on that band of earnings. So not all of your salary is being used to pay that figure. Uh, and that 8% sounds good, but if you look at who tends to end up with the best pensions in retirement, they tend to be government employees mm. who are in a final salary pension scheme. Mm. Uh, and between them and their employer, as a general guide, they're paying around double each month, 16% yeah. into that plan <laughs> uh, compared to someone who's in auto-enrollment and is paying 8 mm. 
So I would say the 8% is a starting point. Mm. Uh, those people should still be reviewing their pension needs mm. uh, based on their own particular desires for what they want retirement to look like. Okay. Moving on to a bit more on the investment side and with the way the amount of interest you're earning on your savings deposits, is it worth having an ISA because it's tax-free? But in mind, we've now got the tax allowances available. Is it worth ISA or is it just maybe stick it in the bank and, and, and let it sit there? The, this has been an issue ever since 2008 when the banks collapsed. Mm. Uh, interest rates went to as near zero as makes no difference mm. and have never recovered. Mm. So if you look today, and depending on who you believe, inflation is running at between 6 and 7%, you are making virtually no money on cash deposit savings. Everybody needs, different people call it different things, rainy day money and emergency fund. Everybody needs a certain amount of cash to cover for unexpected events. A good guide would be three to six months net salary. Uh, but once you've got that, how you hold that is then up to you. You can have it in a straightforward cash deposit account. You can have it in a cash ISA. As you said, if you're a, ba if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you're allowed to make £1,000 a year in interest anyway mm. before you pay any tax. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you've got a £500 allowance currently. Mm. Very few people uh, get more than that in interest on the cash anyway. So the, the argument about should it be in an ISA wrapper or not, mm. it depends on if they're investing. But if they were prepared to invest, they're probably better using their ISA wrapper in their investments and just holding a general okay. cash account. Yeah. But my, my own personal view would be that once you've got sufficient cash for you to feel comfortable that you've got an emergency fund, you need to look outside of cash to make investments. Right, okay. And um, how much does your attitude to risk affect all of these investments? So you've got your pension, you've got your ISA. I mean, obviously, we've got the various types of ISAs. We've got the cash ISA and those stocks and shares ISA. But um, if we say you're averse to risk, you're very risk averse. And as accountants, obviously, we're very risk averse. Uh, and we, on the scale of one to ten, we might be down at the two and three level. Would you put your money into a stocks and shares ISA or would you be looking at uh, maybe a, a cash ISA for someone like that? If I was talking to a client for the first time, we would, we would use some questionnaires, almost a psychometric test, uh, to see how they really feel about risk. And you can't help how you feel. Mm. Uh, some people are naturally cautious. Some people are naturally optimistic. Yeah, uh, and that will that will be reflected in their scores and their answers. Mm -hmm. So there are two different parts to answering this question. Uh, generally, uh, the the more the more risk you're prepared to accept, then the more of your money would be in stocks and shares. The greater potential you have for growth, mm -hmm. but that growth will not be a straight line. It will yeah. do that. Yeah, the general trend over a long period of time is ever upwards. Mm -hmm. But there will be bumps along the road, as we've discussed earlier mm -hmm. in this conversation. So you don't invest in stocks and shares as a short-term measure. You should be looking at a minimum of a five-year investment period. Okay. Uh, for example, somebody that's investing in a pension that's 30, they may be invested for up to 50 years. Mm. So there would be nothing wrong with them having a higher level of risk at the beginning, working with that timescale. 
and then perhaps when they get nearer to retirement for, for that gradually yeah. to reduce and lessen the risk mm. so that you don't take the risk of losing a big chunk of your pension pot mm. just before you retire. The other problem with that is you can be very optimistic about risk, but actually when you look at somebody's finances, they can't afford to take any risk yeah. because they have no emergency funds uh, or they, they really have nothing else, so they can't afford to lose what they've already got. So, so you take an overall view. The, of yeah, there's two different that. parts yeah. there. It's yeah. how willing are you to mm. take risk, but then having a look at somebody's finances, can they actually afford to take yeah. the levels of risk yeah. that they say they're prepared to? Mm. And there's a discussion would go on then to mm. try and find some some okay. ground where I and they both feel that. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Oh, lots of people approach me and say, should I have a property or should we have a pension? And it's a, a, a question we're always asked, which is the better, property or pension? From an, I, from an IFA's point of view, what would, how, what would you say? Well, when, I, when I'm doing planning with a client, uh, I'm looking at using all their available tax allowances. So their ISA allowances, their pension allowances, their capital gains tax uh, exemptions, trying to manage their income within their tax bands to keep the bill down. You can't do hardly any of that with a physical property. Uh, and along the way, I know that clients' life doesn't run smoothly. It doesn't for anyone that I've ever met. There are ups and downs, there are good times and there are bad times. Uh, and there are times when you need to lay your hands on some money. Mm. If your money's in an ISA, for example, you can get it out without exit penalty within a reasonably short period of time. And you can take a bit out and leave the rest. If you have a property, it's all or nothing. You either keep it or you sell it. Mm. You, you can't sell a bit of it. Yeah, it, It's all or nothing. Sure. So if you own a property, and I know people who do and do very well with it, mm. they understand how the property market works. They understand the risks that they're taking and they're working with a time scale that means they don't have to make a forced sale. So if the circumstances are right, you can invest in property and you can do well. Mm -hmm. Some people go in for the wrong reasons uh, and some people, for a lot of people, the, there would have been far more flexibility if they had been in, a, in investment rather than in property. Okay. One of the things that makes me very uncomfortable is when people are buying a house to live in and they've bought it simply because they think that property will go up in value. Mm. Buying a property should be somewhere where you want to live and where you believe you'll be happy uh, in an area that ticks all your boxes for good schools, good transport links and so on. It is not a good reason to buy a house just because you believe you think it'll go up in value. I couldn't agree with you more. So from your point of view, is it, um, is it property or pension? Pension. Okay. And fine dining or takeaway? Takeaway. My, my idea of a good night is 20 people around the table sharing a takeaway. Fantastic. And finally, Celtic or Rangers? Celtic, it's a straightforward choice between good and evil. <laughs> oh dear. And on that happy note, thank you very much indeed, Ian. Uh, that's uh, some fabulous insights into the way the current IFA market is and the pensions and so on. Uh, thank you for joining us for this latest podcast. We'll look to see you on some future ones very soon.